Listen, we've been through a year of living in our sweats. I cannot get enough of this teacher style box. I get new clothes whenever I want. If you sign up, you get a free month of teacher style box. So go to teacherstylebox.com, put in the promo code JUST30. You get a free month of teacher style box, a month of endless clothes, endless teacher fashion delivered to your door. Teacherstylebox.com, promo code JUST30. Get a free month of teacher style box. That's promo code JUST30. Hey, all you hot messes, this is your hot mess teacher express conductor, Jess Smith. And we are back on the tracks today for another amazing episode. And I am so excited to have this conversation with our very special guests. To start out, I'm just gonna just gonna state it. I'm no expert and I may be a little bit of a dreamer, but I think that we can all agree on at least one thing that this year in the classroom has been a year like no other. Between changing the entire way that we teach, where we teach, what we wear when we're teaching, how we teach, we need a couple breaks and we need a win. Our students need a win. This year, state standardized testing has been given the green light despite the, I don't know, pandemic and lack of complete routine and inconsistency in classroom times and social unrest and emotional toll that this year has taken on not only our students and families, but us. Because obviously this year has been anything but standard. The government thinks that we need some standardized tests. There are a group of teachers who are standing up and asking for the U.S. Department of Education to reconsider this decision, and they have started this amazing social campaign using hashtag cancel state testing 2021, stating if the U.S. Department of Education waives state testing requirements again, students and teachers will have more opportunities to engage in rich learning experiences that empower and work to create lifelong learners not one and done test takers. And guys, I could not agree more with them. And I'm so excited to chat with them and hear their passion and vision for this campaign and share with us how we can get started in on this campaign with them, not just for this year, but maybe even for the future. So please welcome Christina, the daring English teacher and Emily of Read It, Write It, Learn It. Thank you so much, guys, for being here. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> All right. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your teaching backgrounds and grade levels and where you're teaching, what you're teaching, and like all of the things that have happened in your classrooms this year and what they kind of look like. So Emily, you want to start? Sure. This is my 20th year in the classroom. I have for most of my career taught in the same school district in upstate New York. And that time has been spent teaching seventh grade ELA. I have taught high school, summer school, and my very first year of teaching, I taught high school and I actually taught special education that year. So it's been quite a wild ride. 
Um, I've also had a lot of experience with testing, both preparing my own students for the three through eight New York State exams, but also working, editing the exams at different points. Um, at one point I grade, graded the SATs and um, it's just been very interesting scoring the test. For years I scored the test, I trained other teachers on how to score the exams. And throughout the years, one thing I've seen is how much it's changed, um, especially with different political administrations and then with different initiatives, um, especially one of the toughest changes was when testing started to be tied to teacher evaluations. So it's been interesting throughout the years and there have been ups and downs. Um, I've been an advocate before for using the test for the data to help empower students, but it's been harder and harder to make that happen, especially this year. Yeah, that's. I did not know that, that you have kind of like a behind the scenes look at what actually goes on after everyone's like done, like wipes their hands of it. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's quite interesting. Okay. Christina, can you kind of share where you're at and what this year's look like in your classroom and stuff? Yeah, definitely. This is my 11th year teaching and I've only taught high school, but I've taught every single grade level, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, all the way from EL classes, special uh, education collaborative classes, up to honors. Uh, This year, I'm actually taking on journalism and the yearbook, which is really, really fun. Um, Nice, like, surprise (laughs) thing that I'm really enjoying. But um, for us in California right now, we're in a really unique situation, it seems like, compared to other states. I have not had an in-person student since last March. We've been teaching remote entirely and we're getting ready to start hybrid middle of April and I'm so excited (laughs) but um, for some of the major and big counties in Southern California we have not been able to open at all and so uh, open up for in-person instruction and so everything has been remote. That is crazy. (laughs) So you have not had a student sit in front of you for an entire year? I have not. I was able to create like a cohort once we reached a certain threshold with the state numbers of yearbook students. And that would just be like me meeting them in the front office and checking them in and kind of walking around campus and taking pictures. But other than that, I have not had a physical student in my presence in the classroom setting in over a year. And um, it's I'm, I'm definitely ready to see students in person. Yeah, so you guys are making the switch to hybrid in April for what the last month of school? <laughs> for the last six weeks, because we get out uh, before the end of May. We get out before Memorial Day. So, oh wow, six weeks is what we get. Oh, okay, all right. Well, six weeks is better than none. So that's so that's good. Okay, so we are here to talk about this amazing movement, Christine. I'm going to kind of look to you to kind of share a little bit about this movement and where it came from and how it all started for you. Okay. Well, I, I am not a big fan of standardized testing to begin with. And in California, in high school, 11th grade is the grade that tests. And that's what I teach. I teach juniors and it's, it's so stressful. It's stressful for the students. It's stressful for the school. It's stressful for the teachers. And I was so relieved last year when we had that federal waiver that said that mm-hmm. we did not have to do state testing. 
But in a way, it almost would have made sense to do it last year because students had the instruction from the entire year compared to this year. But um, starting back, my very first post when I started speaking out about te state testing for this 2020-2021 school year was on July 19th of 2020. And that's when in California, our numbers started to creep up a little bit. We thought we would be hybrid. And then within weeks of school actually starting, we heard from the state that we couldn't and it would all be remote. Mm -hmm. But um, I wanted to bring attention to the fact that, you know, the last school year, last year, students were missing in-person instruction for the last entire quarter of the school year. And the most important thing to focus on for this year was instruction and not assessment. Mm. The way that we administer the test is we do it in our English classes and it takes two weeks of instruction. So for two whole weeks, just for English. So I lose two weeks wow. of my time. Students lose two weeks of when we could be reading and talking and engaging and challenging and doing all of these amazing things. And, um, so since summer, I've been saying, you know, we should not be having state testing. We need to focus on instruction. And, you know, looking back in July, little did we know that here we would be <laughs> remote teaching for more than a year in, in California, in several counties. And I just really wanted to, and I started seeing other, other people on Instagram speak out about state testing. And I kind of was thinking, you know, we need to send a collective message. We need to have a platform where teachers can share their voice. They can share their reason as to why they think that state testing should be canceled for this year and send a united message to the federal government, to the U.S. Department of Education and to our new education secretary. Yeah. And you guys, are doing that. And it's so amazing. Um, I did not realize that it took two weeks for in the 11th grade. Well, it depends on how the school poll and I've worked in two different districts. Mm -hmm. So in my last district, they pulled a student out and they did the entire test in like two or three days, but it was straight from 8am to 3pm. Uh, so oh. we do it right now just in our English class with our own students. So it's like 45 minutes to 50 minutes of time for two weeks. Right. And that's yeah, that, and that takes away from everything that you're doing and all of the momentum that you're probably building up <laughs> to that point. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Emily, do you want to like add on to anything? Maybe maybe tell us how did you guys kind of find each other and <laughs> work together? Well, Christina and I have known each other, I think, for a while just through the teacher Instagram community. And we've worked on several other projects together with blog posts and blogging in general and sharing information with teachers. So Christina messaged me, asked if I would be interested in joining her initiative and just reaching out to other educators to see if they would like to be involved. And I jumped on it because I thought it was an awesome idea. I think there's so much power and collective strength when teachers join together. Mm -hmm. We are the experts in the classroom. And I think it's really important that we do share what we're seeing in the classroom and what we're experiencing. I think a lot of it is misunderstood because our, our kids really do need the authentic learning experiences this year to help us minimize any learning loss, but also just to keep our students engaged and healthy mentally, physically in the classroom. And, and just hearing Christina describe her school year, and she hasn't seen a student in person since last year, my experience has been so different. And I think every school, even across New York State, if I just look at a, us as a state cohort, it's different where I am compared to districts even next door. We have a district a half hour away where they're bringing back all their students 
um, after April break. And our school has been hybrid all of this school year, but we are also looking at bringing back our students. That being said, we've had school districts like another neighbor, neighboring school district who finishes early every day in order to make this school year work. School districts have been doing different things and education. It's been kind of inequitable this year. There's not an easy way to measure across the board what students have learned and lost. And I think there are alternatives to measuring that that don't involve losing just this precious time we have with our students. We're in a unique situation right now in New York State. New York State applied for a waiver to not administer exams. So our New York State Education Department did not want us to have exams standardized this year. So they are basically trying to minimize the impact that having to give tests will have on our students. And even that has been really interesting. And it, throughout the the conversation about testing this year, it just shows me once again, the data is not going to be reliable. <laughs> I think one uh, an important part of this conversation is what makes meaningful testing and the testing mm -hmm. this year just mm -hmm. will, it's impossible to be meaningful. We are not gonna be able to test all of our students. We've already determined that as a district and students at this point are be being given, given the choice to opt in instead of opt out. And that's different district to district in New York State, but most of our students are not going to opt in. So. We won't have reliable data even trying to administer a test. And therefore, the whole purpose is lost. Right. Yeah, similar in California, too. They just applied for a waiver. But it sounds like in addition to maybe not being able to or not having to do the state test, it might be like a district created assessment, which if the whole purpose is to gather reliable data, that's going to throw that off. And even if we shorten the test, we're going to compare a shortened test to something else and the data just won't be reliable for that. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of your main arguments? We, you kind of touched on them, but what are maybe some of your main points why we should be canceling state testing this year? For me, the biggest one is probably the focus on instruction. Like I said, like I have not had in-person students this entire school year. And, but the last thing I want to do is start hybrid and then tell my students, okay, backpacks in the front of the room, <laughs> cell phones off and in the front of the room, stare at this computer for an hour and then I'm not going to talk to you. And the same thing as a mother as well. My son is in third grade this year. This is the first year that he's going to be Aww. testing. He is going to have his first day of in-person school. He's been struggling at the dining room table on his Chromebook the entire time. And I have to say that the elementary school teachers are doing a fantastic job like with remote teaching. But the last thing I want for him to do is go to school on his little time that he gets for hybrid instruction and have to do it. So I feel one of the biggest things is we need to focus on instruction, authentic, real, in-person instruction instead of assessment. Yeah. Emily, what about you? I agree. And like I said, I think this is a great opportunity to start talking about what meaningful assessments look like. I think a really important aspect of meaningful assessment is having reliable data that is transparent and can be used by students and teachers to further learning. And that just cannot happen this year. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, student mental health, the inequities in standardized testing and the funding that it takes to actually pay for standardized testing. All of these are kind of working against our ultimate goal of reopening all schools safely for in-person instruction. 
So looking into this, I had no idea how much money went into these tests and how that money could be used in our schools now. Yeah, I would love to have all of the shareholders and the stakeholders kind of come together and collectively reevaluate what standardized testing needs to be. Um, what the purpose of the assessment is. But then beyond that, what are we going to actually do with the data? As a high school administrator of the state test, I don't even see my student scores. They don't receive mm. them until their senior year and I never see their scores. And it is an hours long painstaking process to go into the system and pull up my 11th grader scores from their eighth grade year. And so by the time I get them in high school, like the data is not even not even relevant. But I would love to see some of this funding go to just something that would actually really help students, which is lowering class sizes. I mean, mm. collectively, nationwide, if we were to lower the class size, that would help so much. It would increase personalized instruction, and it would help improve classroom community, improve social and emotional well-being. And as a byproduct of that, you would see, you would see those scores go up. Yeah. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more with what Christina just said. In upstate New York, we've experienced so many cuts, budget cuts throughout the last few years. And this past summer, we were expecting massive cuts for this school year. And luckily, our school is just getting by. However, we have lost special education positions, our education, our technology program was cut in half. We've lost so many programs due to budget cuts. And nationally, we're spending less on education, but the testing itself is so expensive. And to reallocate those dollars towards programming, and like Christina said, smaller class sizes would be much more beneficial and help to address some of the inequalities we see in education. So it's one thing to see the inequalities and see the data, but there has to be action afterwards. And I also think that with testing, we need to reevaluate the creation of the test. It's so expensive, yet we have professionals in the classrooms who know how to create standards-based assessments. So I think there are just different ways to get the same information that could be empowering to students and to inform teachers. Yeah. So thinking past this year, should standardized testing, state testing, be something that we rethink in general every year? Are there enough benefits to keep it? And what would maybe be an alternative? I understand that the whole purpose of state testing is to see where the students are and to see what their strengths are collectively, what their weaknesses are, and to address any inequities. But it almost feels as if we haven't gotten to that point. I mean, No Child Left Behind was in 2001, and that's when a lot of the mandated testing really, really came. And if that was the whole point of No Child Left Behind, and now every student succeeds, what has happened in these past 20 years to address these inequities? Mm -hmm. If we've been looking at this data for this long and the inequities stay the same, you know, what good does the standardized test do? It is an hours long painstaking process to go into the system and pull up my 11th grader scores from their eighth grade year. And so by the time I get them in high school, like the data is not even not even relevant. Yeah. We've also in the past had more transparent practices where teachers were allowed to score their own exams and, and do data analysis right away. And that has gone away, especially with the advent of APPR, where testing was tied to teacher evaluations and then 
cheating became an issue and the, the, the test became so high pressure for teachers that it was hard to, to make the data reliable um, and to make it something that teachers could use to inform their instruction. I absolutely agree. And I think standardized testing and the weight that we put on it almost devalues me as a teacher because I feel like what I'm saying about my kids and what I'm seeing in the classroom doesn't necessarily matter as much as what they put down or what they click on a screen with standardized testing. Do you guys see that too? I see that testing sometimes creates a culture of competition, which is not healthy in education. Instead of competing, teachers should be working together. And instead of competing school district to school district, where like I know our school district, I, I, I work in a high performing school, but our names and our scores are presented at board meetings and published in newspapers. So it became it becomes very high pressure. And then the focus is off of the kids in front of us. Yeah. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. The school that I teach at like traditionally scores the highest in the entire district. And there's so much pressure that comes along with that to the point where we're not using the test results to guide our instruction. It is completely mandating what we do to the point where we spend weeks on test prep, almost simulating the entire test, creating performance tasks that look like, oh, hey, this was on there last year. We need to make sure that we do this so that the, the teaching to the test takes away from the authentic teaching experience. Right, right. And kind of talking about students and how they respond to standardized testing, <laughs> do you see a lot of kids stressed out over standardized testing? I mean, especially coming from, from schools who are very high performing, do you see a lot of like the kids take on that pressure? So I have a, a personal story to share with that. I would say absolutely yes. My son, um, like Christina's third grade was his first year of testing. His second year of testing in fourth grade was a challenge. And he, we have unlimited time for students to take tests. Mm -hmm. So the test is supposed to take around two hours. And he felt such pressure to do well. He took the entire day. So they move students who want to take the entire day to a separate location and allow them to take as much time as they need to finish the test. But he didn't eat a lunch. And that was my first time. He was nine years old taking a test from 8.30 to 2.30. He did not finish. Oh yes, it was awful. And I wrote a letter to New York State, to Betsy DeVos. I was just so angry as a parent because my son loves school and he loves learning and he really values his teachers. And I think he just felt such pressure to perform and he was stuck on a single question. <laughs> my children have had amazing teachers. Um, it's just really the system that put a nine-year-old in this situation. It, it just really um, emphasized for me how much something needs to change. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's like... <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, I'm pregnant and emotional and I was like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, it was heartbreaking. I was heartbroken for him. I cried. I was upset. He cried. He was just so exhausted after that experience. And I just was like, go outside and play. Just run around, be a child, enjoy. You are nine. You are so smart. Yeah. It was awful. Terrible. <laughs> Sorry to bring down the house. <laughs> but 
I think that is an important thing to consider. I've seen my own students as seventh graders experience a very similar phenomenon where they just, they want to perform so well. And we spend all years building relationships with our students. We become really like a family. And then when our students are taking a test and they know the test means a lot for not only them, but for our school district, for the teachers involved, sometimes that pressure just causes them to break down. And my kids, my students' kids, <laughs> when I say my kids, I mean my students this time, um, they are 12 years old. They're maybe 13. So they're still really young. And to see some of them who have had to take full day long tests or some of my special education students who struggle with reading or need certain modifications that, and this is something that has changed through the years. It's gotten better, but initially they could not have tests read to them. And that was really frustrating to me because when a student struggles with reading and has on their IEP that texts are read aloud, there have just been issues with with modifications during standardized testing as well, which is really unfair. And in fact, I would call it abusive to some of the students who really struggle. Absolutely. Yeah, that's another heartbreaking part. Yeah. Yeah, and it just shows me that when stakeholders do collectively come together and call for change, it can happen. Yep, Mm -hmm. exactly. There's hope. (laughs) I notice a lot of my students that really struggle and put a lot of pressure on themselves are my Yale students. And that test isn't a fair, accurate measure for them at all. Because it's trying to guess, you know, how much of the content and curriculum they know, but then also it's assessing language and they might not be there, but they're brilliant kids. And I've seen some of my Yale students just like completely break down because they don't know the meaning of a word. And it's in a question where I can't help them out. And I know they don't know it. It's a word that maybe, you know, maybe I'd have to look it up, but it's, it's tough seeing the kids struggle with it. And at the high school level, we have the students click on a box that publishes their score on their transcript. And for the California State University system, it places them in their math and their English classes. And if they don't get a high enough score, and if they don't do well in senior English or math, they have to take remediation classes at their own dime before they can take general ed English and math classes if they're going on to college. And so for some of the students who know that they're like right there, it's it's really tough for them to see them struggle with it. Yeah. All right. So what for you guys would be the best possible outcome? And I think you've touched on it a little bit, but what would be the best outcome for this campaign? I think the best outcome would be like a two-part outcome. The first part would be for this year, there's a blanket waiver for every single state that makes it so that they're not mandated to administer state testing. But that's only a band-aid on this issue. There needs to be a conversation after this year, post-pandemic. We need to get everyone together and have these conversations about what do we want to assess, what's the purpose of it, and what are we going to actually do with this data And if we don't get this change that we're looking for, what do we do then next? So we're not in this perpetual cycle of test, here's where we need to put funding, test, and it just doesn't work. So that's probably what I would like to see is just this year there's no state testing and then we reevaluate what state testing looks like in our country. Mm. This year there's no state testing and then we reevaluate what state testing looks like in our country. Yeah. 
Yeah, I share the same sentiments that definitely we need to eliminate state testing for the school year and then reassess going forward what state testing will look like and what we're, we plan on doing with the data. Something meaningful. I would love to see funding reallocated from millions and millions of dollars that our state spends on assessments. I would love to see that money go towards programming and um, things that will really make a difference in kids' education. Yeah. So how can other teachers help? How can we continue to kind of use our platforms to make this change and hop on board this with you guys? One thing I think teachers can do is if you are a parent yourself, you can opt your kid out of state testing. Uh, it's a part of uh, ESSA. It's a federal law. You can opt out. And um, up to date, the federal government has not withheld funding for low participation in any school. And so this is my son's first year testing, and I see the stress he puts on himself. And so I opted him out. And I'm also I'm calling all my mom friends. And I'm saying, hey, you know what? You can opt out. And I'm saying, you know, tell all of your, your mom friends that you can. Because at the professional level, we can't really tell our students this. We're not really supposed to say that there is that opt-out. But I think spreading the word amongst your own inner social circles that it's a possibility is helpful. And then also calling and writing your um, your governors, the secretary of education, and let them know that it's not fair for students this year to go ahead with state testing. I had no idea that the parents could opt out and there would be no pushback about low participation. We might get pushback, but you're... (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Okay. All right. What advice do you have for our listeners and all the teachers out there who are trying to make it through this year, trying to make it through state testing and all of the stress that goes along with that? My best advice is to do what you know is best for the students always. When we just keep that simple mantra in the back of our heads to do what's best for students, I think we're always guided in the right direction. And this year for me, that means not doing any test prep at all. Um, Our situation is much different because my students will have to opt in if they choose to take it. I don't expect that many of them will. So I am lucky in the fact that I'm able to continue with our normal curriculum, which is much more rich than test prep. So I think just doing what's best for students and understanding that despite what we might see all over the media about learning gaps, that our students have made huge gains in the past year. And that gap is very much a myth. I don't believe that my students have lost really large amounts of ground this year. And in fact, I, I know that my students have gained so many skills that were missing before. We were not a one-to-one school prior to the pandemic. We are now. My students are so much more capable using technology, connecting with others. Their communication skills have improved. So I've seen gains in areas that I've never seen before. And for me as an educator, that is really exciting. So I say to teachers, you are amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. Our kids are making huge gains because of what we're doing every day in the classroom, because we're learning as we go and adapting our curriculum to fit different models throughout a single school year, moving from remote to hybrid to in-person and all different iterations of that. So 
um, just believe in yourself as an educator, you are a professional and your students um, will grow as a result. My best piece of advice would be to stick with the essential standards and the essential skills and keep assignments to just what you need to assign. No extra assignments because the students right now are just like everybody else. The students, the parents, the teachers, everyone is dealing with so much right now and we don't know what is on everyone's plate. So focus on just the essential assignments and skills, but really, really focus on building those relationships and getting to know your students Mm -hmm. and checking in on them and, you know, asking them questions about their hobbies or their pets, because we have students who are struggling and reaching out to them is so important. And by doing this, by building these bonds with our students right now, and I'm speaking, I'm speaking as a remote teacher. Um, I teach to a black screen all day with no cameras on, (laughs) but, but, Building these relationships with the students, they're going to remember the teachers that cared during this hard time. Mm-hmm. And so like, keep doing what you're doing. Keep reaching out to your students and just understanding that everyone's going through something difficult. I found it makes it really easy, especially if I get an email from a parent and I'm just like, you know what, as a parent myself, this is tough. So I think that just knowing that everyone's going through something right now is very helpful. Exactly. We're not the only ones going through this hard time. It's the parents, it's the students, it's all of the people. (laughs) This has not been an easy year at all. Um, Thank you guys so much for being here and having this super important conversation. I am definitely going to be reaching out to our governor and to the Secretary of Education and start making some moves there because I think this is such an important thing for us to stand up for. Can you guys share where uh, everybody can follow you? Any TPT store? (laughs) Okay, you can uh, follow me on Instagram at the Daring English Teacher. TPT store is the same. Same for everything is the Daring English Teacher for where you can find me. Something that I am... Yeah, trying to make it easy, except for uh, Twitter, because Twitter, that was too many characters. So it's just Daring English. Oh, Twitter is so high maintenance. Which is also a form of T now, but I had this, I had that name before they came out with their T name. It was, I think it was Lipton that took it. <laughs> but um, one thing I'm working on right now is I'm, uh, it's taking forever, but I'm just writing. I love teaching writing and I love breaking down the process and scaffolding and coming with all these different exercises and activities that you can do in the classroom. I'm slowly authoring a, a writing book, an instructional writing book <gasps> that um, I really hope to tackle over the summer because we're all going through a lot and pandemic teaching has taken a lot out of me. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I awesome. will be buying that book, <laughs> sharing it with all my teacher <laughs> no, friends. I know. All right, Emily, where can we find you? What are you working on? Anything you can you find me at Read It, Write It, Learn It on Instagram. On my blog is Read It, Write It, Learn It as well. And I do have a Twitter that I'm not very active on. So um, <laughs> it also is too many characters. So it's actually my name, but um, that I don't really use. I'm very active on Instagram and on my blog. And I also have a TPT store where I create products based on just my many years in the classroom. So my initial goal, I created an escape room and it was just kind of for fun to see what would happen and it just exploded. So it was a lot of fun to see 
to share that with teachers and to, to hear stories of different teachers using that curriculum in their classrooms. And then that just ended up carrying over into novel units and writing units and more escape rooms and just a lot of on your feet fun activities for middle schoolers because they definitely need movement in the classroom. Um, and so that's just my passion is just creating products that are engaged and make teachers' lives a little bit easier. <laughs> Thank you both again so much for being here on the Hot Mess Teacher Express. And I hope that everyone will join us next time on the Hot Mess Teacher Express. Bye.